Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Um, we are going to be speaking with the president of Digital Ed, Christina Perticulius. Uh, I, I want to dive in, Christina, because look, I think there are some bold statements that are attributed to digital ed that I completely agree with and our need to understand the the gaps in STEM education, uh, the ways in which we think about what we're teaching, uh, and how can we do that in, in maybe a better, more efficient, more engaging uh, way for, for the students. So w- with that as the backdrop, let's talk a little bit about, give me the state of the union of digital ed and really sort of what digital ed is meeting. What immediate need do you think that it is need is meeting right now, given that we are in this hopefully post COVID era? Um, I say that very <laughs> cautiously, um, but give us, give us some, a backdrop for the audience on digital ed, if you don't mind. Well, uh, thank you for that, and I'm happy to be speaking with you about this today. So, you know, digital ed, we've, we really looked at the perspective of, of teaching STEM online as an opportunity to really create a real immersive experience that engages what we would call like the education ecosystem together. When, when you look at things like lesson dis- uh, delivery, topic discovery, uh, independent practice and discovery, uh, being able to go through that exploration for a student is, is a hard thing to do when you're not looking at something from a platform that can pull everything together. So for us, uh, our our perspective on what we do for education, particular for STEM, is about creating an immersive experience that brings together what we look at as a transdisciplinary element of STEM that brings so many different topics together. Okay, so look, STEM, let's go over the last, you know, 10 years or so. So uh, even 10 to 15 years ago, we had STEM really sort of came on the, uh, you know, on the main stage and everybody was talking about it and how do we integrate it in K, K to 20 in that manner. Um, and we saw technology, we saw investment, you know, just sort of dive in um, full bore. What have we learned over the last decade that you think is, that we see the results of those lessons in an experience that students have when we're talking about immersive experiences within digital ed? Uh, well, we've learned quite a bit, and I guess the primary thing that we've learned is that the the dynamic testing and instant feedback that student gets right away when they look at some type of an, an immersive platform is the way that they've been able to retain that better. And we look at different ways of students reading a piece of material, they think they've got it in their head and they move on to the next subject. But when they get tested later on, they realize the building blocks to this have actually been falling apart or crumbling and they actually weren't really a good foundation to start with. So creating an opportunity to have instant feedback when they think they've learned something, introduce some type of deliberate practice along the way really helps with learning and retention. And we see it all across the board with all the data that we've seen that this this introduction of these small little deliberate uh, elements of practice and desirable difficulties, as they say, uh, really raise the engagement and the retention of students along the way. If I ask you, Christina, to put on a bit of an analyst hat, you know, I would trust your eye, your professional eye, that if you walk in, if you sort of walk into the proverbial digital landscape of a different offering out there, just in general, what is it that you're going to be looking for that will tell you that what you are engaged with is actually engaging? 
as we would have said prior to sort of digital learning experiences where I might say to you, if you and I walked into a classroom, what would tell you that that classroom is successful in the composition of the everything from the furniture to the way in which the teacher is engaging with the students, you know, so on and so forth. So let's take that approach and plug that into the digital space. What are the things that you're looking for? Because I think the consumer has changed over time and COVID pushed us into a different realm where parents and students of all ages became critics, <laughs> not just users. And I think, you know, hopefully the silver lining is that impacts the overall development, research and development force, whatever the next experience is going to be digitally. So what are you looking for when you walk into a digital environment? Well, I guess we've learned from other industries, even just looking at the marketing industry, they look at a website. If someone's engaged with the website, how long are they sticking around on that page? How long are they are they actually clicking on things? Where are they clicking? You have that opportunity to see that. And the wonderful thing that we get from technology and online experience is that we get a click level understanding of the behaviors of the students as they go through. So we can identify that if someone is opened to on a page and they haven't scrolled, if they haven't clicked on anything, if they haven't tried any of the, in our case, the how do I type practice questions to help go along the way. Those are the types of things that we look for that is their activity that's happening um, along with it, or are they opening up other tabs and finding other ways within their browser to further explore and investigate based on what they just learned. So that's probably the first level that we look at when it comes to engagement. And let's connect that, Christina, to thinking about a technology-savvy workforce. I feel like for every conversation that I have with a provider in the space, I'm having conversations with the private sector about what they're looking for and sort of the gaps that they would like to have filled by those like a digital ed and or, you know, sort of go down the list of providers in these different areas. So how do we understand that connective tissue and where can maybe where are the opportunities in the market and where can we continue to improve? I think that, you know, in the quest for us to integrate technologies together and integrate them for the classroom, we start looking at the behaviors of, of individuals and how they're able to pull that experience together. And what, what I mean by that is you have multiple media, you have computers, you have the input that you take when you're in a room with someone, you have your laptop uh, and your mobile phone that comes together and a lot of different uh, developers or the individuals that we work with that create the curriculum need to look at this entire ecosystem of, of information that comes into a student and comes in for what we're doing in the workforce as well. We look at it as our team is learning at the same time, and we're in just as much of a learning experience as our students are. It's just we're applying the learning in a different way than they are. So how do we take in all of this information? How do we pull it together and look for individuals that can create a thread through all the different types of technologies to make an experience that feels like it belongs together rather than being chopped together from a different bunch of different pieces. Christina, take me inside. I know you guys, I believe, work with, uh, you know, around or over 300 colleges and universities. I'm so curious as to the conversation. So it's not about the specifics of a conversation with a university, but I'm interested in the types of questions and the tone and tenor of these discussions do we see that they're changing over time because we're finding that the consumer or the buyer 
if we're sort of brass tacks, has a better understanding. They know what they're looking for, sort of what they're shopping for. They also know the needs of their students in these hybrid and sort of ever-evolving environments, and thus they can be a much more collaborative partner for you. Take me inside or behind the scenes of those conversations and how they have changed over time. They have changed over time. So I'll start with that. That can underscore that for sure. And, 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 and part of it is because it's this is a craft. Our educators are have been refining their craft for years. And even the ones that are new to um, educating students directly, they've been refining that craft as they learn to be educators. So when you when you've refined something in a way that you've been doing it for some time, you get to learn the little heuristics and the things that work, even if you're working with a different set of students every time. Uh, what's changed now is that uh, even if you wanted to do it the way you used to, you don't really have that option anymore. So uh, with the conversations we have are what can we do to elevate your craft and make give you a platform to ensure that whatever you are doing to refine what you used to do is amplified and, and uh, also taking advantage of things that maybe you couldn't do before, like what we talked about with engagement. If you're in a classroom in front of 100 students, we're looking at it from the perspective of a lecture hall and sometimes hundreds of students, the ability to understand who is absorbing what and who's engaged is much harder than if you're looking at an analytical graph that you can pick up at any time to see who's actually logged in and who's clicking through the lectures and all the different elements of the lecture themselves. So the conversations we have very much are, how do I adapt what I used to do in a way that continues to provide the same level of, of care and feeding to my students to help guide them in their learning journey, but also give them some sense of individuality and in how they go through that journey. Is there a way that we can do this asynchronously such that they can learn in one path and do it in a way that's best for them, but that I can come in and kind of bring things together and really help guide the next steps on their journey? That's the type of conversation we're having with a lot of these educators that are that hadn't anticipated going online fully for the longest time. And now they're really looking at the possibility. So it sounds like you almost have to be, it's not about, you know, that dirty word of sales or, or selling. It's that there's a real uh, percentage of what you do, which has to do with educating the market, in essence, to get them up to speed so that they can feel good about sort of creating some level of equivalence to what they had prior. And then if, if they have sort of soaked up and learned what you and your colleagues have basically educated them on when it comes to the opportunity, then is it fair to say that then there's that, that's when the scaffolding happens where they understand, wait a minute, now I get it, Christina. So if we can do X, then can we do Y? Is that fair or am I far afield? No, that's super fair. And I'd say that it's it's one extra step on top of that is that we are more of a of a avenue for them to learn from other educators. So we have to get much faster and we've gotten faster at trying to figure out how do we best share the learning from one set of educators into another to ensure that the things that are working in one place can be uh, leveraged and used in other places. So the types of things that the conversations that we have and the learning that comes about from here is more around here's what was effective here and how do we get you those effective bits of information as fast as possible so that you can make sure that you're learning from others as they're evolving. But we do this with even with papers where we try our best to get 
peer-reviewed papers out there so we can start getting with the community and say, here's what we've learned and this is what this professor at this university did and here's the outcome that came from it. I really think there's something you can learn from this. So it's not necessarily our learning, it's almost our community's learning and how we can share that with the rest of the community. So again, this is very selfish on my part because I've heard these anecdotes over time during COVID and, and to this point, which I find just fascinating because forever the provider felt as if they almost had to ask for permission to you know, present the offering to a prospective college, university or K-12 institution especially in the digital space, because it was conceived as a nice to have, not a need to have, right? That we had to have this. And yet what happened when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, all of those things that felt sort of uh, superfluous, maybe we need it, maybe we don't, became a must have. And it changed the dynamic and the relationship between those providing the services and those basically acquiring those services. Not that that you have to sort of share your experience in that regard, but have you found that the relationship has changed for the better in that manner? Because I feel like I've heard back channel from the buyers, right? From the colleges, the universities, the K-12 institutions, how much more they appreciate their collaborators now, almost as if they didn't understand the full value that they were getting prior to the pandemic. Yeah, you know, it's it's to our benefit, of course, the closer relationship we have with our with the educators and the, the community that we serve, the product becomes better, the platform becomes better, we have better stories to tell. So in the end, it becomes, uh, if we're open to the learning, it's all everyone benefits from it. Uh, I would say that the relationship definitely is tighter, it's stronger. Uh, but there's also, you know, uh, the positive side that can be construed as negative to start is that they're very direct now, which I love <laughs> as someone who came from a product background. I want to know what's not working. I want to know that uh, you said this would work in this way. Yeah, it works to the letter, but my goodness, the intent is different. And that's that's the that's the best way that we can get the greatest feedback. And because they're so critical for it to work in a timely manner for our for our educators today, that they're coming back with that feedback hard and fast, and we're ready to listen to it. <laughs> and, you know, the 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 idea of online versus remote is also something I wanted to emphasize. And I, and I, I realize it's a little bit different, but based on your comment on the, on the pandemic and, and what happened, I think it's important to make the distinction that when things happen right away, I have to say many of our educators are like, I, I, I'm not where in the position where I can refine and adapt my current way of teaching into an online format. So I need to start with just going remote. I need the, the Zooms of the world. I need the, you know, the teams of the world to start getting things figured out in a, in a remote learning environment first. And then now we're starting to see a lot of these educators that did that first shift. To, I just need to be a face on a screen right now in real time to how do I now start slowly adapting the way I used to teach in a way that enables our students to do some things asynchronously online in our case, and then come together and really amp up what we do to guide them as an educator when we're face-to-face. Let's pivot, Christina, and talk about your journey. Uh, you know, you just mentioned there briefly about sort of a product background. I am I am forever interested in how we get to where we are um, and the lessons along the way because I think it's important for the younger generation to know that we weren't born in the positions we we hold currently and there were quite a few struggles along the way for most of us. Um, tell me why digital ed for you? Um, how this connects 
from your perspective to your own educational journey and the impact that it allows you to have um, in the type of way that you can't, it's sometimes it's hard to even describe, but you, you know, when you see it, it's the ambiance in the restaurant. It's, it's all the things that matter and the reason why you get up in the morning, ready to tackle the next challenge and opportunity for digital ed. Uh, right. So, so yeah, whenever someone asks, how did you get here? You always have to stop and your my eyes glaze over thinking, uh, I'm not sure, but <laughs> let, let me walk you back from where I am. And, you know, the question about what resonated with me, I'll start with that. My, my, my background is I'm a chemical engineer by trade. I, I'm a big petrol head. I love cars. I love F1. I love everything to do with it. And I always imagined I was going to be a, you know, someone in the fluid, fluid dynamic space working on some type of an automotive uh, application because I, I loved it. And when I did my master's, I spent a lot of time in that space as well. And I was so certain that's what I was going to do. But um I and I hated software. I'll add that I did not take <laughs> I did not take the software option in university at all. I had a wonderful friend that did, and I said, "You're better than I am. Good for you. I'm going to watch you from the sidelines and cheer you on." Um, but you know, once I got into the working world and identified the types of opportunities that came from things like simulation, you know, I, I may be dating myself a little bit, but it wasn't a given that you would design. In my case, a, a engine oil cooler uh, with a machine. You would kind of do it by hand first, do a bit of uh, calculations, you run a few iterations, and then you'd try again. And uh, I figured out early enough that, oh my goodness, if I put this in a type of a program and iterate, I can do thousands of iterations and do better when it comes to my end results as a design engineer if I use software. So that's where I started with the software space. But when I talk about what that learning journey look like. And when I think about that, my first steps into university were not pretty. And part of that uh, could have been, uh, my background could have been what I thought was easy in high school, that when I got into first year, I, I literally was destroyed. And I use that word all the time. My first year was not pretty at all. And part of that was that I just felt that the pace was not what I could keep up with. And when I look at what digital ed is doing, and what we're doing here and how we look at meeting the students where they are. My, my results in first year engineering were not because I didn't work hard. I worked very hard. I just didn't have enough material to climb through. I'd get through every question that was at the back of the book and I still needed more help. So it, it would, to me, I needed more practice. I needed to know that, uh, how, how was I doing? And so these value statements that we put out there of saying, a student gets instant feedback. They make sure that when they think they understand a topic and they're about to layer the next one on top, which is critical in any STEM discipline, you don't start with one topic and then move on to the next. You need to master enough of that first topic so the next one is easier and then the one on top of that and the layers just keep on building. If you miss one layer, you may miss something down the road that you had no idea was important. So that's why I get excited about what we do, because I think of myself so very selfishly. I really do think I would have done much better in my first year if I had a little bit more time to catch up with everyone else around me. I eventually did. And, you know, the fact that I got into grad school made it so that I was able to get my feet under me at, at that point. But uh, having some way to understand where I was at and how far I was from the expectations of my educators uh, would have made a big difference to me. And that, that's why I see what we do as being so important. 
I get the sense from you. I know we're just we're we're sharing this this time together over Zoom, so we're not sitting in the same coffee shop. Um, but I get the sense that that spirit that you bring is something that is embodied company wide. That in essence, you you know, when we think about technology and you know, so how far do we iterate? Like, at what point do we need to in essence slow down and make sure everybody's with us? Um, that this is a core component in your role and potentially the team at large, that as you are sort of adding, that you are very cognizant of the experience that the learner has to ensure that you're not just developing and adding for the sake of adding, you're doing it because there's intention behind it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're, we're not a very large team, but we definitely are. We, we call us small but mighty and very passionate. Uh, we, we look at everything we're doing with, um, I'd say, almost uh, obsessive precision and, and more so And the precision for us is not about being perfect. That's obviously that's, you know, if you're learning, you're never going to be perfect. So that, that's that's something that's a key of where we're at. But our entire culture is very much around, we know that there's a way to do better. We know that there's a way to learn. Let's make sure that every step we take is opening ourselves up to be wrong because then we have the opportunity to fix it. If we if we create an environment where we think we know everything and we're not really looking at the possibilities, then we're probably gonna get it wrong. And a big part of this craft that these educators can bring up is gonna be left untapped because we haven't really thought about those possibilities. Well, I find you incredibly engaging and that there is a vulnerability about you that is refreshing when it comes to those that are in positions of leadership to help chart the course forward in education technology. And, and I mean that sincerely. I would encourage people to check out Digital Ed and Christina. Um, where should they go to learn more about the offering um, and also sort of the legacy of the company as well and the leadership? Oh, well, thank you for that. That's uh, very kind of you to say. And and, and again, for us, uh, online, digital.com, we're, we're thrilled with what we've been able to provide. And we have uh, nice little videos and case studies for you to take a look at what some of the professors have done. But more importantly, you'll have an opportunity to play around with the platform for yourself. We have a small little area where you can just get in there and see for yourself what's possible. And every one of our team are ready to pick up the phone if there's a conversation you like to have, because we do like to have that warm interaction if that's if you're up for that as well. Well, uh, look, I mean, you're working with over 300 colleges and universities, so you're obviously doing more than something, right? Um, <laughs> so Thank you. Uh, I think that that there's that immediate um, and hopefully uh, you know, trust that is there with with new visitors to the site and as they get to know digital ed. So I encourage people to check that out and reach out to Christina Perticulios, uh, a really thoughtful leader in this space that I think brings not only personal experience, um, but professional expertise to an area uh, that we are desperate to learn and grow from uh, as we progress down the educational journey for all students involved. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.